Well, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land, my name is Paul Workman. Well, I'm old Zach McCoy. And it is your boy, Trav. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsity Podcast Thursday show, Thursday, where we take a look at the oeuvre of Oscar winner and perennial, not perennial, no, I'm tired, uh, Oscar winner and knower of cinema, Mr. Martin Scorsese. What are we watching this week, Zach? We're watching Hugo. Marty adapts a historical fiction story about a couple of curious kids solving the mystery of cinema's origins. Oh, nice. Everybody's first time seeing this film. No. No. No for me. Anybody remember their first time seeing this film? Yes. Ooh, yes. Go ahead, Trav. Okay. Yes, your, your boy got to... When this movie come out? 20... 2011. Okay. Like November of 2011, I, I believe. The fir- I, first time I watched this movie was uh, on Blu-ray at the crib. All by my lonely. Nice. Nice. Uh, a Blu-ray much like this one? Ooh, look at that. Um... I don't think it, it might have had the uh, the cover, cover thing on it. Mm, slippy. Beautiful. I Ooh. take all my covers and kind of toss them because my kids would lose them anyways or they would just get fucking torn up. So I just started taking them <laughs> off and immediately throwing them I'm in the trash. Nerd. Yeah. So. My kids, I can, kid. yeah. My kids aren't allowed to touch my, my DVDs. They got they, their own. Right. If they touch mine, I karate chop them in the neck. That's right. Well, I did buy this for us as a family. There you I, go. I bought this for me as a me, but we'll get to that. <laughs> First time I saw this film was December 13th, 2011. Nice. <laughs> At the AMC, and I saw it in 3D. Ooh. 3D. Well, what'd you think of that? It or actually. Do you even remember it? Yeah, it actually worked really well in 3D. Um, uh, you know, we, it's funny, we're talking about the artist in this. This week, uh, they're both lovely films that uh, are are touching on uh, homage, but both maybe sort of involving gimmicks because the 3D could seem like a gimmick. But watching it at home now, I'll get into that, too. But yeah, yeah, I, I had a very nice theater experience in 3D. OK. Oh, I don't remember exactly what day I saw this, but I'm pretty sure I saw it the week it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the theater, in 3D, and it was the first time I thought, "Holy shit, 3D could work if you actually use it. Mm. If you shoot in 3D and not do post conversion, right? And you understand how the te- how the technology yeah, can give a film depth. Intentional with it, yeah. It takes. There are only four films that I saw in theaters in 3d that gave me that experience. And this was the first one. I think my problem with 3d and I didn't see this in 3d. The only, no, I take that back. I saw avatar in 3d. I saw the last Jedi in 3d and that was God awful. Cause it's post conversion and it didn't need to be that. Um, no movie needs to be that unless, and this, this is what I was going to get to or allude to, unless it's for like a theme park or ride or something like that, 3d should just not even be a fucking thing. Like, I don't want to sit here for two hours and watch a 3d fucking experience. 3d should be a 15, 20 minute fun little interactive thing. And that's what it should be. I, 100% oh, oh, don't disagree. 
Um, not to cut you off, Paul, but I also saw oh. Saw 3D. Oh God! And Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D, and I just hate the. They go into it with the. This is going to be in 3D, so we're going to do these shots. And if you don't see it in 3D, it's fucking stupid. I mean, it's stupid in 3D, but it's even fucking stupider that's, when you watch it without the, being in 3D. That's the kind of 3D I love, though. But it's, and that's what I'm saying. It's good. That kind of stuff is good in a theme park, 15, 20 minute ride kind of Bush Gardens thing. Not in a fucking hour and a half, two hour movie, dude. I, like, I just always loved that stupid, like. You make it in 3D and they're like, all right, so who wants a piece of cake? And they're like shoving the cake at the camera. But that's all I can think about. And it makes me so happy. That's all I can think about with the trains, you know, and this and people ducking the train. And that's all I can think about with that being in 3D. Yeah. As as I've watched it at home, it does kind of like. Yeah, I remember how that looked in 3D, and it was intentional, and it looked better. But it doesn't look bad necessarily here. But um, I I did enjoy the 3D of Avatar. That I've I've said that multiple times. Like that, it was immersive to me. It made it feel like a different experience, and that's why it doesn't translate on a home screen for me. Uh, did I know you wear your glasses get... when you go to 3D movies. I did, but they had uh, the big ones that fit over right. my glasses. See, so. my you. I think I feel like my glasses might be bigger than yours, like thicker and bigger. So like I've yeah, never had, had a good glasses, glasses wearing experience with my glasses gotcha. at any theater. Understandable. And that really takes away from your experience, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure it does. And honestly, and like I said, I watched a lot of movies in 3D just because a lot of times that's how they were offering them. And uh-huh. and I was going in 2011, I was going to the theater like four times a week. Right. Never mm-hmm. fail. And in in the years that 3D since from Avatar until it finally like started dying out, four films, four films I saw in 3D that I was like, this is how 3D should be used. Tell us what they are, Media Daddy. Okay, so the four for me, and I I didn't get into Avatar. Mm-hmm. It was this. It was um, uh, Gravity. Okay. Oh yeah, which okay. I thought was incredible in 3D. Yes, uh, it was Ang Lee's uh, Life of Pi. Okay. Oh shit! Beautiful in 3D, and uh, the last one was the first Hobbit movie in the high frame rate 3D. Okay. Oh, wow. Because what is? Hold on. What the high frame rate 3D? It was 48 frames per second, not 24, and. They did it in 3D, and I'm telling you, when they go into Hobbiton in the very beginning uh-huh. of that movie, you felt like you were walking through the fucking streets. It was wild. Mm. And I know a lot of people don't like high frame rate because it gives it that real, like, that... The most, realistic. That blurless... That, yeah, yeah, like, that's look. what it's called. And, uh, and, and it gives it kind of a feel of, like, that soap opera filming. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so... I, I know a lot of people don't like that. I love high frame rate. And I, I wish more people would. You know, when you go yeah. to like Best Buy, Walmart or whatever, and they would have the TVs on it. Uh-huh. I would, before I knew what, why it looked like that, I'd be like, why the fuck does it look like that? Yeah. yeah same, it looks same way with too me. real. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the and I have, motion, I have motion blur turned off on my TV, but I just, I don't like the way that older movies look with, without the motion blur, but mm. when a movie is shot at like 60 frames per second, there's something about it that yeah. really takes me away. But, yeah, before, I guess we better start talking about this film, but when you said <laughs> uh, 
Life of Pi and Gravity. Though, okay, yeah, those are the other ones for me too. I I forgot I saw those in 3D, but as soon as you said them, it's like yeah, Gravity. That was that was an experience. Right. I was like I I, I think any I sort was, of space thing would be great. Yeah, and, I was like walking out of the theater like scared. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's yeah, so well, wild. Because I keep wanting to go to the planetarium and like the planetarium over here in Chesapeake, they're only open to the public like Thursday at 8 p.m. And you got to call and I'm like, I guess during the summer, maybe that's fine. But during the school year, that's just a little too late to be going to the planetarium with the kids. But like, I'm I'm really trying to go to the planetarium because I used to love the planetarium. Hell yeah. Why? Last time Paul, I was went, that a Metallica reference? You, so last like, time I went to a yeah. planetarium, my dad and I went and saw a Jimi Hendrix Doors laser light show at the yeah. planetarium That's at wild. Virginia Living Center. Yep. And um, they were also doing a Pink Floyd The Wall and a Metallica one. I saw those too. And <laughs> as we were walking out of the the laser light show, they were selling t-shirts and one of them was instead of sanitarium, it was yeah. planetarium. Yeah, that's Hell awesome. Yeah. I can get with that. Welcome home. Uh, And that stuck with me all these years. Yes. Okay. So anytime I hear planetarium, I just immediately start singing planetarium. Planetarium. (laughs) (laughs) Laser beams. (laughs) Laser beams. Well, that's in there now. (laughs) So good. Okay. Okay. We've got to get into an Oscar breakdown. Oscar breakdown. (laughs) Breakdown. As soon as done, Trap's done laughing. <laughs> oh my god. That was uh, fucking incredible. All right. Hugo. Nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It was the most nominated film on the evening. Yeah. That's wild, though. It loses Best Picture to The Artist. Uh, it loses Martin Scorsese. Back to being the bridesmaid. Loses... <laughs> Best director to Michelle Hazabicious for the artist. Uh, Ace Butterfield criminally not nominated for best actor. Hmm. Uh, also, uh, Ben Kingsley criminally not nominated for best supporting actor. And Chloe Grace Moretz criminally not nominated for hmm. best supporting actress. Hmm. Uh, gotta make room for. Janet McTeer and Albert Knobs, apparently. <laughs> oh, okay. Albie Knobs. Oh, good, Albert All right, Hugo loses Best Screenplay, John Logan, to The Descendants. Uh, gotta go down here to Best... Uh, Howard Shore loses Best Original Score for this film to The mm. Artist. Mm. It's just crazy. Just crazy. Hugo does win Best Sound Editing. It does win Best Sound Mixing. It does win Best Art Direction. It wins Best Cinematography, giving Robert Richardson an Academy Award. Not his first, right? Not his first. I believe that is his third. His third. He he got it for Aviator, right? Aviator and JFK. Oh. Oh, he did JFK? He did JFK. What's that? Oliver... Stone. Stone? Okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, it loses best costume design to the artist, loses best film editing to the girl with the dragon tattoo, and it wins best visual effects. I think a very deserved win. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I how does Martin not pick up best director? How does this not win best picture? Mm. I, mean, I I it's at the end of the day, it's still honestly I'm shocked it got nominated for eleven Academy Awards. I think that's a victory in itself for this at the end of the day, this is still like a children's movie. Mm-hmm. So an eleven Academy Awards for a quote unquote children's film, that's fucking insane. Look. That's not the only like that's not the only outside of actually picking up five awards. That's not the only win that it has on the evening. Uh Billy Crystal does not come out in horrifying Hugo makeup. <laughs> like he does. What with does Tintin. that mean? <laughs> yeah, we talked about that yesterday. Jonathan got the pleasure of looking up uh Billy Crystal in Tintin. <laughs> it's hilariously creepy. <laughs> yes. Oh God! <laughs> I like that we have this moment on both shows. Now. I think I think it's about the same exact reaction too. They both said, "Oh God!" If I recall, "Oh God!" It's horrifying. What uh, is going on? <laughs> Nothing good. Holy shit! Look at that! <laughs> look at them buns. <laughs> yes. All right. So that's let's talk the thing. About, so let's talk about this movie. Okay. How do we feel about this movie? Well, I thought um, the 3D guys go first. I want to hear more about the 3D experience first. Now watching it at home, as I'm, far as what pops and what, because this is Marty's only 3D film, right? His only 3D film, and I believe what made him do this in 3D. The studio like forced him to, or no, no, okay. it was his decision. So he, he wanted to do it in 3D. Yeah, he just I think he'll do anything once. Yeah, well, I, I, I think after maybe seeing Avatar, he wanted to see what he could do with the technology. And apparently James Cameron saw the film and said, this is the best use of this technology there's been so far. Did he really? Wow. Uh, according wow. to notes I read, yes. That's, that's wild because yeah. if James Cameron does one thing right, it's like... It's visuals. It's yeah. visual, yeah. <laughs> so the fact that he's just like... Put his ego aside and said, fuck, that's way better than what I did is the biggest compliment that James Cameron can probably ever give anybody. Yeah. And like from the outset, as soon as the like the gears of the clocks start up, Uh you're kind of swooping into them and Uh you're so immersed. I love gears. Yeah. Right. Like all the all the clockwork in this fucking movie is cool. Yeah. Yeah. How did we get away from gears? I don't know. Steampunk uh. needs to come back. It, it comes back every once in a while. Yeah. I think uh yeah, the 3D was totally right in the theater. It's like you're you're immersed in the world. And then watching it at home, it didn't really feel like the the scenes or the action was shot as a gimmick except for maybe Sasha Barrick Cohen's character on occasion you could t- I, I was like oh yeah he was walking that way or something or mm-hmm. kicking or something that you know made an effect for the movie but it, it's not it's not painfully out of place the way it's shot now because you know Marty will use camera angles that's like still kind of gives you the effect even if it's not 3D mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, it, yeah. It, I mean even like just watching it this week and watching it just on the HBO stream that I watched mm-hmm. there. 
there is nothing lost in the visual language watching it from the 3D. I mean, the 3D feels more immersive and it, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you just get lost in the visual language, especially when he's doing that first, like what, six or seven minutes with him just going uh -huh. through the station. They, everything feels so real. Not, not really real because it's so hyper stylized. Like when, yeah. when, when it's doing that, that push through this the the platform yeah and you have all the people none of them none of those people feel like super like they're yeah they didn't feel like real people even watching it at home yeah you know what and, i mean but with the way the movie the rest of the movie feels and it yeah the, the visual language takes so much from george millier's films and that yeah that and it's you, adapted from like a book too that's got illustrations it all yeah kind of, so, so that never feels wrong. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, these people don't look like real people, but right. there's, there's something about it that doesn't feel out of place for how hyper-stylized everything is. Mm -hmm. And with all, like, the color correction and how he mutes certain things and makes things pop. Every, every like, right. decision feels part of the world. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous film. But, Definitely yeah. deserves cinematography award. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Did they build that set? I, I think I think most of the train station is a set, uh, and it's definitely accented with a lot of CGI. Mm -hmm. But like the heart of it, with like the the cafe and the flower shop, that's all that's all set work. Yeah, yeah. just crazy that this is considered, you know, another Marty flop, even though so. So you talk about it being a kid's film, and I think that's the the hard thing about it. It's nothing against the film itself, but it's hard to market it to kids because I can see kids finding it too melancholy or maybe a little boring, depending on their age. I feel like it's very it's a very niche kind of audience, like a 14, 13 or fourteen year old uh, film nerd would be the perfect audience for this. Yeah, I and, I would have eaten this up when yeah. I was in middle school. See, I was yeah. thinking more, maybe because Zoe watched it with me and, and really enjoyed it, but I was thinking more 10, 11, 12. Uh, you, you've got a um, a smart and mature young daughter. And so. she likes these kind of films. I, I feel like I was talking to Paul about this a couple months ago, where they were really investing a lot of money into films like Hugo and Miss Pellegrine and BFG mm. and where the wild things are and mm. um, what's Jack and the Giant Slayer and none of those movies really were successful but for some reason all the studios were like let's just make these movies and we're gonna spend 150 million dollars and we're gonna make these fucking movies and i love all these movies dude because they are visually yeah absolutely incredible even if there's plot holes in the storyline and the acting sometimes isn't up to par bro these movies the worlds that they build in these movies are just so fucking beautiful like i just love all like i missed this i was telling paul i missed this error of big budget spending on movies that were going to flop because yeah. they just satisfied me and i get it from a financial standpoint why they stopped doing them but damn god they're so good yeah mm -hmm. yeah a lot of them, named a lot of really good movies <laughs> yeah and a lot of them are based on uh you know 
literary things. So I don't, I, it's probably some kids that uh, grew up with these stories that are right. getting into the film industry are like, no, I love these books. Let's make them into movies. And everybody's like, hell yeah, all at the same time. And, and yeah, when it didn't I mean, work yeah, so well. Time. A, a lot of the ones that Trav just named were books that have been around for decades at this point that kids right. grew up on. This this book came out five years before this movie. That's true. Did. That's true. Yeah. And it was just because uh, good old Francesca was like, hey, dad, here's this book. Let's read it together. I think you'll enjoy it. And Marty finished reading the book and was like, Oh shit, this is everything I love. I'm making this movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, what do you think about obviously Mar- Marty always does an incredible job casting, but what do you feel about the kid casting? Mm-hmm. I think Asa Butterfield it was a revelation in this film. Yeah. Yeah, I like I I think back, I don't know like when this movie came out, I was like, "Oh my god, he's going to be like this generation's great actor." And I don't, I guess, it did not it go his way. Didn't really go his way. Yeah, so I, I sex education though. Oh, he was still, yeah, but, and he's still really good in Miss Peregrine because he's the yeah. main main character in that. But and I think he's good in Ender's Game. But I think yeah. Ender's yeah. Game is just kind of an okay movie. And it's that's just yeah. kind of an problem. okay movie for sure. Yeah. And dude, he put out a movie this year called Choose or Die on Netflix. That is dog shit awful. Dog <laughs> well, shit awful. Yeah. Watch, watch. Sex Education on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I've seen Sex Education. Well, uh, that that was less like you specifically, Trav, but like, you know. No, you were saying the audience. The audience. The the three people. You looked me in the eyes. Damn it, I thought you were talking about me. There's at least least 10. There's 10 of them out there. (gasps) Um, Yeah, no, I... I think he's incredible in this film, and... Oh, my God, he's also the kid in The Wolfman. Nope, like yeah. when they go back in time mm-hmm. or a uh, flashback, not back in time. When they show the flashback of him as a kid, he's the kid. Dude, the yeah. Wolfman is so good. Gotta get back mm. in time. That was in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesus. It's got oh. a. Yeah. But yeah, oh. no, there's he. He understands the emotional weight of the things he's doing. Yeah. He, he's got Paul Workman eyes, so. Yeah, he dead and dude, soulless. That's one. No, that's one of the f- things you notice is how blue his and, and, that, his and that's eyes you know are. that's what I'm saying. Like he's very everything else eyes. about him is muted, especially in the beginning of the film. All yeah. his clothes are very muted, but but Scorsese's making his eyes just he's color correcting the eyes to make them pop, mm-hmm. and then like as the as the movie goes on and he starts getting more comfortable and he like sheds his coat, you you start seeing the color in his uh. His mm-hmm. vest a little bit more, uh, his sweater. Oh god, I love this movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just like the fucking end of this movie where he's trying to bring the automaton to Georges Milliers. Mm-hmm. I can't even talk about it because I'll start crying on mic. But it's so good, it's so good. This the way he so plays good. that scene, I am in tears every single time I've watched this movie. It never fails. Did you say Ben Ben Kingsley wasn't nominated? No, no actor was nominated for this film. Mm. Yeah, you know what? I, I, they're kids. I feel I always feel iffy about nominating kids, but I don't understand how Ben Kingsley is not nominated in this. Like, I mean, what the fuck? Here's our here's our category for this year: plumber who wins for beginners mm-hmm. is a performance I think he should have won for. 
Kenneth Branagh for my week with Maryland as Lawrence Olivier. That's a fine performance. I they don't... stay giving Kenneth Branagh like. Yeah, they love him. And I'm just like, I'm not saying he's not good, but he ain't that good. Like every time he does something, the Academy just sucks his ass. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's fine in that movie. That's a, that's a pretty good movie. Michelle Williams definitely owns that film though. Uh, Jonah Hill and Moneyball, a nomination I'm giving. Nick Nolte and Warrior, a nomination I'm giving. Oh, yeah. And then Max von Sydow for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. You could just throw that whole fucking mm. movie away. He, right. I love Sydow, but yeah, that's fuck a weird that nomination. Um, yeah, there's there's room for him in this category. There's at least two nominations I'm taking out. Yep, it's wild. He is he's so good in this movie. My favorite part of it all, though, is you know the recreation of the the old films and the and the set pieces and the characters and yeah, it it, it it's. You know, Marty uh, having fun, but at the same time doing film preservation. So it's like his right. fun and his passion and his uh, drive and purpose all wrapped up in one thing. Yeah, this is this is his absolute love letter to the to the history of film and why it's important. And I think he I think he really gets his point across. I agree. Is there anything that y'all want to pinpoint about the movie or like specifically to talk about outside of this movie's gorgeous and it's perfect? Like we know, uh, we already know that. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the visual style. We've talked about yeah. specific performances. It's I, very I, emotional. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I think it has a great emotional weight. And Sweet. The, the ideas of broken people finding broken people as kind of being the parts that fit each other. Uh-huh. No, I feel that, dude. Yeah, th- th- there's no way I can watch this movie without crying. Um, I feel like Sasha Baron Cohen, t- Cohen <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen is so underrated. Like I know what it, I know what he's known for, you know, and mm-hmm. I get it. Even though he's incredible as Borat, like to do what he does. Yeah, and the f- as those characters is phenomenal, but he's an incredible actor. He is so good in this movie, and his character development from the first scene because they essentially the scene opens up with him being the douchebag fucking security mm-hmm. guy on the hunt to like he's just on a constant mission to ruin some shitty kid's fucking day. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because he's bitter. And by the end of this movie, bro, when I went, oh, man, it's just so good. It's so good. And the fact that he gives this film such a levity while also being the villain, well, the sort of villain. Right, but yeah, then yeah. they it's humanize him in the ways they humanize him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he, you know, he's broken from his time in war. Right. And he... Not just any war either. Huh? I said not just any war. It's not like... The Great War. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they make that a point to be like, this is the Great War. You know what I mean? This is the war of all wars. And to to have him from afar uh, being in love with Emily Mortimer's character Mm -hmm. only to find out that she's lost her brother and she's Uh also broken. She's the piece that fits. Dude, and (laughs) how beautiful is she? Like... The way Beautiful. that 
they film her like, you know, she's the flower girl. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like anytime you have a woman that's like the florist, she's just this beautiful creature. You know what I mean? It's just so symbolic. Yeah. How anybody can watch this film and not like this film just blows my mind. This thing checks off every fucking box that every you box. would look for in a, in a story. Yeah, there's none of the characters are wasted. All of them serve a purpose. All of them fit. All of them have scenes that push the story forward. There's an element that if you, you know, if you're the film obsessive that I am with Michael Stuhlbarg getting introduced like halfway through this fucking movie. Right, yeah. Like, and, and him having, like, him just being Martin Scorsese. <laughs> hmm. yeah. and, and Martin's it, in the film. Yeah, and Martin's in the film, and Ben Kingsley said that he based his George Milliers off Martin Scorsese. Like, <laughs> everybody's finding Martin Scorsese in their character. He's so good. Yep. Yeah. I mean, pretty much, that's why I kind of said, what is it specifically I want to talk about? Because we'll just sit here for 30 minutes and gush, you know, about how good this film is, just because it really is. And it's just an incredible, incredible story. And it's this is a masterpiece. Bro. This is the ultimate masterpiece. How how we're this far into this show and he is able to turn around and show everybody that he is just this good can make a children's film better than most ch other children's films. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, this is the this is the guy that made the departed yeah. goodfellas casino i mean we're taxi driver in a four a three-year calendar window what uh -huh. does shutter island this and wolf of wall street it's like they're so different yeah but he and we'll get there with the wolf of wall street but yeah and mm. and and each serves their purpose of what they need to do and this mm -hmm. one Again, he's like, okay, uh, so I'm going to do an effects-heavy film, I'm going to do it in 3D, and I'm going to do it better than literally everybody else who's doing those things right now. Yeah. Huh. And one of the top money makers that is known for doing this says, yeah, he, he did it better than everybody. But, but, because, it, but because, <laughs> because it couldn't find the audience it needed to find. Right. Where well, adults at are least looking, in the theater. I was yeah. going to say... I think it did find the audience it needs to find. Unfortunately, that audience isn't that big. And yeah, I, mean, I think that's I, what it boils down to. I saw this mm -hmm. film twice in the theaters. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit more about. And it also doesn't have a crazy typical Scorsese runtime. Yeah. I mean, it's two hours. Like it's six a little minutes. over two hours, which. And that six minutes is pretty much the credits. This movie's credits. like two hours. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I. The themes are beautiful. The visuals are beautiful. The act there's there's no wasted actors. Uh, apparently, Christopher Lee had been friends with Martin for a long time, and when Martin finally came to him to offer him this role, he was like, "That took you long enough." Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you not? And he still doesn't even have a huge role in this. No, but he's but he's perfect. But he's perfect for the role he's in. Mm -hmm. That's what Martin does every time. Oh, my God. <laughs> what he when does he, every time. It's crazy. Handsome Robin Hood. Oh my god. Yeah, 
I don't have any more notes on the film outside of yeah, I love this film. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll I'm, just sit here and do that to every fucking scene. Oh my god! Like now I'm, uh, you know, I know I love it, and I'm struggling now with like where I've got it on my ranking. I'm like, huh, where am I going to rank it? So that's what's like. It's it's like a uh, a warm pie of a film. I it, love pie. Honestly, it is like a warm pie of a film. Like it, as silly as that sentence <laughs> sounds, it honestly is like you know that feeling of just eating a nice warm fucking pie, like Man, you know, and it's cold outside and it feels good. Mm-hmm. Now I need to go to Village Inn. I'll see you guys mm-hmm. later. Okay. Dude, what is it? Ever Tuesdays free pie? It used to be Wednesdays. Is it? Tuesdays? Oh, Wednesdays. Okay, free pie. Yeah. Used to be you could buy a cup of coffee and just get a free fucking piece Dude, of. Dude, I love pie. Like, I like I'm pie. not a fan of cake. Yeah, I'm a pie guy rather than cake. I'm a Except, pie. I'm a pie guy, bro. I, I need it wet. <laughs> Don't we all? Mm. Now, what is that shirt you're wearing, by the way? I meant to ask that <laughs> earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt well, the his, intro. Me or him? No, Zach. Oh, it's a work-related shirt. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I got, no gimmick I got today. Brody no gimmick. Oh, the Brody Lee's going. I, I couldn't even see what... Uh, pause was because most of the time it's literally just above the eye so it's just forehead so i'm like oh. yeah i'm not gonna say what it is i'm not gonna name my work but it's just right, the right, logo yeah. for, okay um, no gimmick not, tonight i had some zoom meetings before this that i had zoom yeah, anyway. zoom zoom yeah. zoom, 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 zoom. go boom boom <laughs> i had a, i had a friend who used to come over to my house all the time when i was a teenager and he would dance to that commercial <laughs> and when he stopped Showing up after a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. that commercial came on, and my dad looked around the house and he went, "Where's Steve?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Pavlov dogged him. Yep. All right, let's get into our worsty judgments. Trap. Yep. Versus sitting on your Thursday rankings. I man, so this is the. The big reveal. Um, I I don't think it's any secret from how we've talked about this film. I've ranked this film a five star. I mean, anybody who says anything less is just heartless. <laughs> this film's got so much heart and soul, and so, it's got something to say. I don't know how M- Marty does this. I don't know how he can go from something to say like goodfellas to something to say like hugo but he doesn't and it's insane and this is my new number one this is marty's best project it's can i say i like it more than goodfellas i don't know that's tough i don't know if i like it more than the departed but i think when i really look at what the film is Dude, this is this is his best work of art to date. Beautiful. And it is my new number one. Excellent. I like to hear that. Zach, mm-hmm. have you got it ranked now? I do. So oh, right. when I when we started, I had it at uh number eight at four and a half stars. And like some of the flaws I thought it had were related to the audience. But then as we were sitting here and talking like fuck that it doesn't matter if it was a failure in marketing or whatever if the market wasn't huge that that doesn't mean the movie did it wrong it's 
like Trav said, it's exactly the film it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it reaches this, the people it's supposed to reach. And if a little kid isn't into it, show it to him again in a few years or something. So yeah, I bumped it up from number eight to number five and gave it five stars. So it's in my top five. Oh, what's it sitting between? Um, it bumped Casino down. I had Casino at number five. And uh, Raging Bull, I still got number four. So you have Casino at six? Yep. I have Casino at six. Okay. Cool. Cool. Mr. Workman. I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was waiting to see if Zach I was had waiting on Zach, you know, um, what's it called? So, yeah. <laughs> I, I was just uh, thinking about blowing a kiss. <laughs> kind of romantic. Nice one. Right. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got two notes before I, I say what I say. Okay. Two notes. Uh, the first one is uh, I, when, when Facebook had the word count limits, I used to do really short reviews. Oh, I didn't even know Facebook had a word count limit. Like way back. Okay. The, when like, this movie uh, came like out, 06, it was 2011. 11, yeah. And I think this was around the time that they, they like doubled it mm. before they just like got, a, got rid of the word count. Yeah. Um, and I, I used to do short reviews on Facebook just for, you know, my, my friends and stuff. And my review on this, one of my friends read and was like, Hey, you should, you should like put these somewhere. So mm-hmm. I started using a blog spot and, uh, uh, that's that's where the man of constant hatred thing started. What's yeah, was pretty much this film. Uh, so this was this was my review of this film in 2011, uh, and I put this on a blog spot on December 28th, 2011. It said, "Film means a lot to me, more than most people understand. So I don't feel that I need to be reminded how magical and beautiful film can be. It doesn't mean I don't like to be reminded, both literally and figuratively." Martin Scorsese's Hugo, based off the book The Invention of Hugo Cabret by Brian Selznick, has done exactly that. There is nothing about this film I don't like. I want to find everyone involved with it and personally give them a hug. Hell yeah. My second note is the moment Leanne and I went and saw this film together back in 2011, and the moment this film ended, I turned to her and tried to say the words that is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And halfway through that, that comment, I started sobbing because I know it. I had seen something special. And I knew I saw something that was going to mean something to me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. This is my new number one. Oh. There is a chance. And I, I know I speak hyperbole often. Mm. There is a chance. This is my favorite movie ever made. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. I love this film so much. And I mean, the second this movie fucking started, I started thinking about the rest of the movie. And in within like two minutes of watching this movie, I was already crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by the end of this movie, I was an emotional wreck. I was trying, I was going to try to get my kids to watch it with me. Uh, we, we normally watch movies with dinner, mm-hmm. uh, but they had something going on in their room before I called them in for dinner and the second I like started crying, I was like, they don't, they don't need to see me like sobbing like, like this. <laughs> like, like I just skinned my knee. <laughs> like they, they don't need that in their lives right now. So what they were an like, example. Yeah. They were like, Hey, uh, can we go back to doing that thing? We're doing a room. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Yeah. No, I love this movie. Uh, it's incredible and it's perfect and everybody should love it and watch it 
often. I can't watch it too often because I just I don't want to cry like that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, this is only my fourth time seeing this film. Yeah, I've maybe watched it seven or eight times in the past 11 years. Right. I also didn't know that the author of this book also was the author of Wonderstruck. Oh, yeah. This guy's incredible. This guy's incredible. (laughs) The fact that we have somehow turned two amazing movies into 80s rock fucking anthems (laughs) is just incredible. Um, Wonderstruck! Remind me to tell you guys about, if you haven't seen the Wonder spinoff movie trailer, remind me to talk to you about that after this. Okay. Um, everybody else go look that up. I was going to say something that, that, that Wonder I was also going to say, me. I don't even remember what the next part is after we give our ranking, to be honest. Uh, we you. usually call it, um, call uh, it, call it five stars. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I totally have forgotten where we go with this podcast. Oh, Brian, <laughs> Brian Selzik is in the movie. Oh, he is. Okay, so who, what at, is it? So, so at the very, very end of the movie, while they're, when they're in the apartment after all the, the stuff has they're been. Doing the celebration party or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, before you like, say that, though, I do want to bring up, I love that he made him the knee brace. Yes. Dude, when I saw the knee brace. I, I was crying again, bro. Mm-hmm. Again, like this, again. This man built him a new fucking knee brace. Like, ah, it was so good. So God damn it. They had to hit me with the, the fucking knee brace made me cry. <laughs> ah, damn. So there's like a line of four people that are coming in through like a hallway that go into like the the living area. Uh-huh. And, and I feel like it's Stuhlbarg and then... Kingsley, and then there's a man with glasses standing right behind Ben Kingsley, and that's Brian Selznick. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So, that's cool. I like they snuck him in. How here. cool was that for him? Yeah. Yeah. Good on Marty. Yeah. For doing that. Marty's the, he's so good. Dude, he's just such a sweet old man. Like Paul says. Just a God. sweet old man that wants you to love movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. And damn it, we love movies. I love movies. <clears throat> All right. All right. So we're going to call it finally, uh, uh, Trav. Yep. Thank you for producing the show. Oh, thank you for having oh, me on it. Uh, I guess before I get into this, uh, Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are back with a documentary. We're watching George Harrison living in the material world. Ooh. And I am a material A traveling Wilbury. I yes. Like Ooh, I need and- some of that Wilbury pie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you think Marty will do documentaries on the rest of the traveling Wilburys? Doubtful. I mean, we got Bob and now George. So can we get his Tom Petty documentary? He oh. might do a Tom Petty one, actually. I, I don't I know, man. Put it past him. You know, uh, there's, there's, there's actually a really good Tom Petty documentary out there about him recording the Wildflowers album that I it's watched at one of those film festivals anyway all right i gotta yeah he's doing that dead documentary coming out so uh or not the full dead but uh what's the dude from the dead with jerry garcia Uh, jerry Jerry garcia he's doing that jerry garcia documentary so yeah yes well this george harrison one you can watch on hulu sling tv or youtube i'll be watching on blu-ray because i own it oh take that motherfucker 
All right. Uh, we would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at OscarsThePod and on Facebook the Oscars Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. The almighty algorithm of good film is good for the soul. <laughs> so, four. Tram. Zach. I don't think Great. we did our socials, right? No, we sure no, didn't. That's did. how lost we are. Wait, uh, this movie go, just, just... Yeah, go listen to another episode. We're all those. <laughs> uh, so, for Trav, Zach, and the great Georges Milliers, we like you all. Have a damn fine day.